0: Father, we turn to you and we ask you for wisdom. We know that you have placed in the book of James the words that if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask. And you will provide it richly without finding fault. So, Father, we ask for that. And we know that wisdom is the proper application of knowledge. So as we go through your word, we ask that you would fill us full of knowledge. Not knowledge that puffs up, but a knowledge that sustains a knowledge that blesses others. And may we be built up in love and in the faith that has been handed down to us. So Father, bless your word. In Jesus' name, amen. We are in Matthew chapter 8. Since I kind of give you half a study last time or half a message last time i'm just going to review slightly what we have gone through and then close it up and this has to do with jesus christ but we are in such a place in the gospel of matthew where jesus just finished the sermon on the mount and he jumps into chapter eight and here we will find this man healed of leprosy The servant of the centurion, Peter's mother-in-law gets healed and many get healed after that. And the calming of the storm and the two demon-possessed men and the Gadarenes uh, and the paralytic is healed in chapter 9. And all of these are done, all of these miracles are done after the teaching of Jesus to give validity to his message. Now he has power over health which is the natural he has power over demons which is the supernatural and he has power over the elements which is nature so he has power over the natural the supernatural and nature and that's what we're given in chapter 8 going on into chapter 9 the chapter distinctions were not there when these letters were originally written but this is set up so that it will be a witness irrefutable evidence for the pharisees because the people that God healed the pharisees would witness that some were told go to the temple and offer a sacrifice in accordance like with the leprosy the healing of the leprosy and i gave you all the information about that 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 hadn't happened in over 500 years and it was a very unique miracle and so the priest would have known that something new is happening that god is moving as a result of the healing of specifically the leprosy but we're going to pick it up in chapter eight and go over that story when he came down from the mountainside verse one Large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he was cured of his leprosy. Then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. And I gave you before Leviticus chapter 14, uh, 4 through about 10, and they were instructed which kind of sacrifice to offer when something like this was witnessed as a healing and as a sacrifice. And so this is what he did. And again, that was a testimony to the priests at that time. And I told you it was before I told you that it was Second Kings chapter 5 and it was Nahum that was healed and it was 550 years before christ that that happened and there was no recorded healing like that there may have been but there was no recorded healing that we know of uh, through the scriptures then we go on to the centurion and his servant matthew chapter 8 verse 5 when jesus had entered capernaum a centurion came to him asking for help lord he said my servant lies at home paralyzed and in terrible suffering Jesus said to him, I will go and heal him. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word, my servant will be healed. For I myself have a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go, and he goes, and that one, come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was astonished and said to those following him, I tell you the truth, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their places at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the subjects of the kingdom will be thrown outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, go, it will be done just as you have believed it would. And his servant was healed at that very hour. Now the servant, he probably had a bad accident, a bad fall, maybe falling off a a cliff of some kind, but he was paralyzed, he couldn't move, and he was in great pain. And the centurion, just because of his way of life, he understood that somebody in authority could give direction, and that direction would be carried out. He recognized Jesus as one being in a place of authority. Now the centurion would have been a Gentile, And the Gentile, Jesus didn't come to minister to the Gentiles, only to the house of Israel. But this request was made, and he was a kind man towards the Jews, and so he was encouraged to go and heal this particular centurion's servant. And it was a way of life, like I said, for him. So he trusted God, which he may or may not have known that he was God. He knew he was someone special at that particular point, a prophet for sure. But he knew he was a person who had great authority. And so he appealed to that authority. This centurion, if I was a betting man, I would say, this man was saved. And Jesus was astonished. That's the word that's used there. And I went over this last time. He was taken aback like, "Uh, what? He? It's like, I can't believe it. Have you ever said that? No way. That's what he would have said if he was living today. No way. And then, there's, and then people would have said, way. No way. Way. It, it would have been like that. And so he said, I have not found such great faith in all of Israel. Really? Not even his disciples? No, they didn't have that much faith. But the centurion, understanding authority, placed it in Jesus and said, hey, I know you can do this. You don't have to come. Just please make it happen. Then Jesus makes this comment about people like the centurion are the ones that are going to go to heaven. But the people who think that they're going to heaven are the ones who are going to be thrown outside. And that's because they didn't understand faith. They didn't understand believing God. They wouldn't put their faith, hope, and trust in God. They were simply into the ritual doing this. Like for us, it would be just go to church, do your time, say a little prayer, live a good life, don't get angry at somebody, you know, walk the way you're supposed to, no road rage, yeah, I mean, you can fill in the blanks. And people think, that's it, that's how you get to heaven. That's not how you get to heaven. It's trusting in Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus Christ is the one that I want to focus on today. If anybody asks you, hey, you go to Calvary Chapel Lakeside? You say, yeah, I go, to, I go there. Well, what's he teach? You're to tell them, Jesus Christ. That's who he teaches. That's the one that I bring to you, the one and only the God in human form. Now we can talk about living our lives and how we can be successful in business and how to raise the kids and all of these things are important for our witness of Jesus Christ. But if we forget Jesus, no matter what church you go to now or in the future, you want to make sure they're talking about Jesus, why he came to die, his crucifixion, his resurrection, his return. It's all about Jesus. I think they had a song like that. It's all about Jesus and he's to be our focus now if it is all these years that i've been walking with christ i've i've come to know him who he is i come to know that he is a man of authority he is the god who reigns on high he is the one that gives us life he sheds upon us his grace and his mercy if we simply ask and recognize our own sin That's who Jesus is. He is completely just, and he is completely loving. All of those things are combined in Jesus Christ, and much, much more. I can't give you the whole list here. It would take forever to talk about the magnificence of Jesus Christ and who he is. But there is a problem. Throughout history, people have looked at Jesus and tried to ascribe to him things that are not of him characteristics or attributes that are not his there was the Aryan arian heresy and the gnostic heresy one says he was not god the other says he was not man and he was both and those heresies have gone through the church and then we try to make up excuses of why he is or he is not something Or things that he has done, we misinterpret what they are. And my job is to bring to you who Jesus Christ is from Scripture. Now, Jesus was astonished. And it it makes us ask the question, well, if he's God, why would he be astonished? I talked about this last time. Does God get grieved? Why does he get grieved? It says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you were sealed. All of these things that we start to read in Scripture, it seems to be an oxymoron god can be grieved does god change his mind is he ever surprised is he ever amazed is he ever astonished is he ever taken off guard didn't see that coming is god a man all these things we look at them and go well wait but jesus is god so how could he be astonished how could he be taken off guard all of these things we're supposed to look at so that we might know jesus more jesus and him crucified just like the apostle paul wrote That's who we're supposed to look to, the author and finisher of our faith, and he wants us to know him. He has revealed himself to us, but we want to take away all the chaff, the things that are not associated with him, things that are not his characteristics, and we want to bring in those things which are his characteristics. And sometimes we fear that we might be wrong, so we make up stuff about him. And we say, well, this must be the case. You know, I've heard it when the, and I'll talk about her probably uh, more in a minute, but this woman who was healed with the issue of blood, Jesus said, who touched me? I've heard so many teachers say, well, he knew that. That was for his disciples. And I, you know, I start pulling my hair out. It turns on fire. And I, I look at the scripture. I say, what does it say that in scripture that he knew? Now, remember, if, if you've heard me talk about this before, if Jesus didn't know, and he's asking strictly for the benefit of his disciples and everyone around He is trying to lead them in a way that they should go. And that's one technique that's used out there. Or he's being deceptive. I don't want them to know that I actually know. So I'm going to ask this question just to lead them. And they, you're actually making that up to put it into scripture. Because people say, well, Jesus was God and he knew everything. And we know he didn't when he was here. And I'm going to give you some scripture on that. So it, it makes us say, well, If he's God, how is it he didn't know something? And then some people say, well, it was just when he was here on earth he didn't know it. But now he knows it. Really? Where does it say that? I know scripture says, I think it's Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That means he's immutable. He doesn't change. If he changed, we would have the term mutable he would change, he would transform, that type of thing. Or some people will say, and I'll get into this a little more too, that he divested himself of attributes of his deity. I don't believe that either. I don't believe scripture teaches that. So I'm going to go through this for the benefit of those who weren't here before, what I talked about when I was here a few weeks ago, and then bring it to a conclusion. Now before I go down this road, (laughs) I said this last time, I want you to understand Jesus Christ is God in human form, the second person of the Trinity. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus Christ is the Word. While we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Titus 2.13, Romans 9.5, while we wait, or excuse me, for theirs are the patriarchs from whom is traced the human ancestry of Christ, who is God over all, forever praised, amen. Jesus is God. We're clear on that. I want to make sure you guys know that. And the Holy Spirit is a person. The Trinity is real. The Jehovah Witnesses that would come and tell you this is false, they are false. Scripture is clear on this. So when it comes to this idea of God changing his mind or regretting what he had done, remember he He regretted that he had made man. (laughs) Boy, did I make a mistake. You you look at that and go, what God was preparing a people for himself. Why did he regret that he had done this? He knew what it was going to be. But you find this, quote unquote, regret, I think, in the King James. And we know that it says, oh, actually, he was grieved in the NIV, He to sigh or breathe strongly. And then going on uh, with the Egyptians, you know, it says in Exodus chapter 32, verse 14, that he was going to judge his people and in the NIV it says he relented i think the the uh, king james says he repented or he changed his mind on it uh first samuel chapter 15 verse 11 talks about king saul that he was grieved that he made saul king and first chronicles 21:15 it, it reads there that, and God sent an angel to destroy Jerusalem, but as the angel was doing so, the Lord saw it and was grieved because of the calamity and said to the angel who was destroying the people, enough, withdraw your hand. So God is grieved, God relented, God repented, God changed his mind. All of these things we have to be comfortable with, even though scripture says God does not change his mind. You know, it, it is, there in Malachi chapter three, verse six, you can read it. It says, "I, the Lord, do not change." So, if it says one where, uh, one place that He changes, or He relents, or that He's grieved, how is it that He changes things? How is it that He is astonished? And I've gone through all this before. I just want to make sure you guys have this down. Uh, in verse seventeen of James chapter one. It says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. It seems like we have a paradox here. On one hand, he changes. On the other hand, he doesn't change. Numbers twenty-three, nineteen. God is not a man that he should lie or the son of man that he should change his mind. You see where we are. You see the dilemma here. Now, if somebody who's an atheist walks up and says, your scriptures are nothing, it says in one place that God changed his mind, and in another place it says that God doesn't change his mind. So what's the point of this? Your Bible's all wet. I'm not going to believe in that. And and they go on their little tirade. And most people, they can't answer. They can't say why. And most atheists don't want to hang around to find out the answer why. They just want to argue with the individual and believe that God doesn't exist so that they can carry on in their sin with freedom and no consequences. Now, going on with this, first of all, when it comes to changing his mind, for those who are not saved, what is their fate according to Scripture? Destruction and hell. God says you will die in your sins some will be raised to everlasting life some to everlasting punishment that's Matthew 25:46 Daniel 12:2 some will be raised to everlasting life some to everlasting contempt there is no middle station there is no way station there is no place of waiting it's either one or the other scripture is clear about that when somebody accepts Christ Does God change his mind about their destruction? He does. He says, I will no longer send you to destruction and everlasting contempt. So you have to understand the context from Scripture. Does God make a declarative statement that this will be, or is it a conditional statement? And so that takes care of most of these issues that are in Scripture. It may be conditional. And sometimes it's written for us in an anthropopathism or an anthropomorphism in such a way that we can understand what God is doing. But when God says the earth is going to be destroyed by fire, I can promise you he's not changing his mind. When he says that Jesus Christ is coming back to this earth and he's going to rule for a thousand years, he's not changing his mind. When he says we get a new body and he gives us his Holy Spirit to live within us. And it's a deposit guaranteeing the things that are come to come. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse five. He tells us that in at least three places in scripture. He's not changing his mind and so context determines interpretation we also have to understand the types of nuances that are listed in scripture or given to us that the genre in which he is speaking if it's poetry if it's a narrative that type of thing if it's conditional unconditional this will wipe out a lot of the objections if you take the time but as I said before most people don't want to sit down and just trudge through this stuff to find out who Jesus actually is he is either God and I believe it God said it and that settles it or I'm not going going to believe it because there's so many contradictions but there are not contradictions in scripture by the way the next time a person comes up to you and says that there are so many contradictions in scripture say you know give me one i got my phone right here has my bible app because my pastor told me to put it on my phone it's right here you you want to give me one contradiction well i'm not going to read that thing you know so many errors in it over so much time it's not true Those errors that you think are errors are not errors that are in the scripture. There are not any contradictions and we need to be able to stand on that. We need to be able to give a defense or a reason for the hope that lies within us. And so when Jesus also, I believe this was a Christophany, an old Testament appearance of Jesus, when the fall took place, God shows up and he turns to the woman and he says, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent beguiled me, or he, he deceived me, and I ate. And he turns to Adam, and Adam, what have you done? And he says, it's the woman who did this. It's all her fault. And then Satan, you know, he was cursed after that. And, and of course, in Luke eight forty three, the woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, that's where it's listed there. He said, who touched me? And with emphasis, they said, what do you mean, who touched you? What, there's so many people. And he goes, somebody touched me. And that's how you want to read it. And he's not being deceptive there in asking the question. Of course, John chapter 13, verses 20 and 21, it says that Jesus was deeply troubled. It says that he was also in 1227. Now my heart is troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason that I came to this hour. Also, Jesus said, Father, if there be any other way, is there another way? Well, we know from this side of the cross, no, there's not. Did Jesus think there might be another way? He wouldn't have said the prayer if he didn't think there might be another way. Would, like, God, your Father, you know all things. Maybe there's another way. How is God the Son asking that if he knows this is the only way? Jesus said himself, I am the way and the truth and the life. But he's turning to the Father going, Father, is there another way? You know, can you help me here? Maybe that I don't have to go through all of this. And of course, we know the answer to that question. But he was troubled. He was astonished. He was amazed. And he doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So that's where we are. And that's where I left you last time. How do you reconcile this? How do you talk to somebody about Jesus Christ? How do you teach somebody who's a young Christian that has these questions and comes to you and says, you know, my Bible says that Jesus was troubled. Why is he troubled if he knows everything? It says here that, Jesus, uh, that God repented. And why does God need to repent? Is he a sinner? You know, what, what's going on with that? We all need to be able to answer them when they have these questions. Now, to be God, you must be omniscient, know everything. Not like us when we say, you think you're a know-it-all. No, this is this is omniscience where you know everything. You don't know just a little bit. You know everything that there is to know. And knowledge, it's infinite. So unless you're infinite in being, you're not going to know everything. To be God, you must be omnipotent or all-powerful. To be God, you must be omnipresent everywhere. Now, it seems like in Scripture that Jesus was limited I'm using that word in quotes. He was limited in these three omnes. At least that's what it seems to say. Now, examining these thoughts by Scripture, limited in knowledge, limited in power, limited in presence, if you saw Jesus and he showed up, say say Jesus showed up today. And he walked in here in person, in human form. Because he is a man, he will always be a man. And he walks through those doors, comes in here. Of course, I would melt. And, but he would come up here and he would say anything that he would like to say. He is God. Is he also in all the other churches? But he's right here physically. But is he also around the world? Is he in hell? is he in heaven the answer in scripture is yes he is but his body is right here so how is it that he is everywhere and he must be everywhere if he is god i'm going to boil this down and give you some explanations from a couple of different aspects I got this, and I've mentioned this before, I got this at a Ligonier conference. Now, that is a reformed conference that was headed up by R.C. Sproul. R.C. Sproul, I do not agree with him on his salvation, on salvation issues, soteriology, or on his eschatology, the end time issues. I don't agree with him. But he is an excellent teacher on the holiness of God. And the things that he had to say, you know, I just lapped them up. And he is a brother. He's gone home to be with the Lord at this time. But, you know, he he had a lot of good teaching. And so I went to this conference. And Os Guinness was there. And this question came up in the audience. I've told some of you this before. And they put this to the theologian, not Oz Guinness. It's the white-haired guy. Os Guinness is the guy with the mustache. I'll think of his name in a minute. Anyhow, he... He asked him the question, and he said, Jesus was omnipresent by the agency of the Holy Spirit. They are one. Now, what about... Let let me ask you this question. Does Jesus live in us? Does the Father live in us? I mean, could you crack open the sternum here and pop open the ribs and you see the beat you know of the heart just going away and oh there he is i see him right in there no you can't do that but does scripture say that he lives in us scripture does say that i'm going to give you a couple of scriptures It says in John chapter 14, verse 23, Jesus replied, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Now, some people say, well, that's like outside the Holy Spirit type thing. No, let me continue. John 14, verse 20 says on that day, you will realize I am in the my father and you are in me and I am in you. How is that possible that physical Jesus is in us? Well, he's in us through the agency of the Holy Spirit. These three are one. I'm going to give you another example here that either I'm going to get to next or in a minute. Does Jesus act independently to do whatever miracle he wants to do? Scripture says no. He does only what the father shows him only what the father tells him he's supposed to do he does not act independently somehow they are one but we cannot comprehend this one but when you look at jesus do you see the father what does scripture say yes when you see jesus you see the father well how is that possible jesus got baptized the holy spirit came and the father was speaking from heaven this is my beloved son in whom i'm well please listen to him the trinity was there but if you look at jesus you see the father what so i'm getting a brain cramp just thinking about this stuff but jesus says he is one with the father he is the exact representation hebrews chapter one verse three of the father says the son is the radiance of god's glory the exact representation of his being sustaining all things by his powerful word if you have seen jesus you have seen the father jesus says why do you say show us the father have i not been with you so long you don't know who i am And Jesus was claiming, I and the Father are one. We are one and the same. And if you see me, you have seen the Father. And so when we look at this, this is a spiritual teaching. This isn't something that we can just grab hold of, which we want to do. And by the way, that's why people, like through the documentary hypothesis it's a theological movement that happened decades ago they said there are no miracles miracles can't take place and so they want to they want to make physical or natural or humanize everything that happens in scripture and they don't want the supernatural to be any type of excuse or explanation for what takes place And when we look at Jesus, we have seen the Father. Does Jesus live in us? Yes, he does. through the agency of the Holy Spirit. Is he omnipotent, all-powerful? Yes, he is at the will of the Father. Does he act independently from the Father? No, he doesn't act independently from the Father. He only does what the Father says. And what about the Holy Spirit? Is the Holy Spirit God? Yes, the Holy Spirit is God. You look it up in Acts chapter 5. Ananias and Sapphira, they were killed. And they said... Peter said to them, you have not lied to men, but you have lied to God. And they had lied to the Holy Spirit. It says it right in the scripture there. So when you're referring to one, you're referring to all three. They are one, and God wants us to be one with him. How are we going to be one with him? It's kind of a spiritual thing. God lives in us, right? And we are one with him, and God wants us to be one with him. And Jesus lives in the Father. If Jesus lives in us, we also have the Father that lives in us, along with the Holy Spirit, which the Scripture says. You following me here? This is how it all works. But people want to say, no, Jesus divested himself. That is just Do you know what hogwash is? (sighs) Yeah. If you've ever been on a farm, you know what hogwash is. To say that Jesus, he was less than he was when he came here, I think that that is a lie from the pit. Now, there is this thing in theology, it's called the hypostatic union, or another word for it is the homoousion, that Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. And God did not take those two natures and put them in a blender and mix them. He didn't do that. Jesus is still 100% God, 100% man, and they do not mix in the person of Jesus Christ. Now, how is that possible? I don't know. I, I have no idea how that is possible, how he can be God and man at the same time. And he will always be man from this point forward, and he will always be God. And he has always been God. And some people say, well, you know, he divested himself of his glory when he came here. And there there are several misconceptions about this. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself. I need to reiterate it this time. I, I want to drive this point home. Jesus is God. He is omniscient. He is omnipotent. He is omnipresent. Jesus is in the Father. And the Holy Spirit is in Jesus, and they are all together. The Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, they are all one. The Trinity is taught in Scripture. But the way we view jesus we want to make up stuff to explain them to people that may have questions that we don't have the answers for or we may make up stuff in order to make us feel better about jesus because he didn't know stuff and he was grieved and he wept over lazarus all of these things he was completely man and some people would say well that was his human nature acting and not his godly nature that was acting And I think that distorts who Jesus is. Those two, even though they don't mix, they are in him one and the same. And this is hard for us to get our minds around this. How, you know, how is this possible? It's like heaven is a spiritual place, but Jesus is physical. And he's sitting on a throne up there. Is that a literal throne or is that a spiritual throne? You know, all of these things, these questions that we have, Nate came up to me and he tried to challenge me uh, before scripture or before the, the message here. He goes, I have a question. He goes, the book of Revelation, you know, and, and God, where God is, it's holy. And he doesn't allow sin in heaven, right? And I said, yeah. And I, I knew where he was going. He was trying to throw a log in front of me to trip me up. And, of course, in the book of Job, if you read the book of Job, who presents themselves to God in the throne room? Satan, and satan is he clean or unclean Oh, is he sinful or is he holy what's he doing in the throne room and see nate was trying to trip me up and i say i said to nate i said uh so what say you old grand theologian what do you think and he goes well you know i don't know he's just trying to stir up the pot is what he was trying to do there and so i'm going to require him to come up with an answer and you can ask him about that and so all of these things, you know, we, we get uncomfortable with what Scripture has to say and we just need to stand on what the Word does say. Now, of course, we understand as i have said before hebrews 13 8 if you don't know it just write it down jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever he does not change he does not change his mind all these attributes that are in god the father are in jesus christ all the attributes in jesus christ are in the holy spirit all of these things are one if you have seen jesus you have seen the holy spirit if you've seen jesus you have seen the father so all of these things must be laid down in stone for us Now, Jesus in his body, the body, the physical, is not omnipresent. Now, we don't like to say that, but his physical body is not omnipresent. But he is omnipresent being God through the agency of the Holy Spirit because they are one. If Jesus doesn't know something, it is the will of the Father that he doesn't know it, but he is still omniscient according to the will of the father by the agency of the Holy spirit. And Jesus is all powerful, but he chooses not to exercise it except at the will of the father by the agency of the Holy spirit. When he went to his hometown in Nazareth, does it say he chose not to do miracles or he couldn't it says he couldn't do many miracles there? Well, I thought he's all powerful. He is all powerful. It was not the Father's will because they lack faith. They said, well, who is this Jesus? It doesn't even belong to Mary and Joseph, the carpenter's son. Who is this guy? He always oh, works with his hands and he's what? Messiah? That type of thing. And they talk like that, actually. But you know, you, you look at that in scripture and you start having questions what Jesus couldn't do something. He could only do what is in keeping with his nature. Some people say, well, can God create a rock so big that he can't lift it? That's ridiculousness. He only does things that are in keeping with his nature. For instance, it's impossible for God to lie. And it says that in the scripture. He will, he cannot tell a lie. It is not in keeping with his character or his characteristics or his attributes or who God is. God just does not lie. So when we meet Jesus... Some things, are you ready for this? Some things might still surprise him. And you go, and some people like to say, well, no, he's in heaven, so he knows all things. He's not going to be surprised by anything. Wait, didn't I just read Hebrews 13, verse 8? Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Was Jesus surprised when he was here? Was he astonished? When we see him face to face. If we tell him something, and he didn't know it, does he actually not know it? Well, if it's at the will of the Father, he doesn't know it. He's the same. When he was here, he didn't know stuff. There might be stuff he may not know up there, but he's still omniscient. You, you getting a hold of this? I mean, this is, this is kind of tough. And, and the person who does not dive into this, they say, oh, stop it. You're just hurting my head. And they don't want to dig into what Scripture says. Remember, it's at the will of the Father, by the agency of the Holy Spirit, he's omniscient. I'm going to get to why I'm talking about all this, but, you know, Scripture gives us this information. And so when you go up there and, in heaven, when we're there, or when we're here on earth, I promise you we're going to go to Jerusalem, and we're going to see when we get our resurrected bodies, we're going to come back here, rule and reign with Christ, we're going to go to Jerusalem. Now, how are we going to get there? Are we going to take an airplane? I don't think so. If we're like Jesus, we just pop on into the sanctuary there, and we're there. We just say, I want to go there. Boom, we're there. Kind of like the shows on television, that type of thing. And we'll show up, and Jesus is going to talk to us face to face. Now, I don't know how you would feel about that, but I try to envision that and think about it a minute, and I go, what's that going to be like, talking to God? My first thought might be, you look like a normal dude. That's going to be one thought. Another thought is, but he's not a normal dude. He's God. He created everything. And I'm going to talk to him. You're going to talk to him. And when you talk to him, you're going to tell him something. He's going to say, so where have you been? And he said, well, you know, I went back to my old lakeside. I was trudging around there. And guess who I saw? And Jesus is going to say, who? He's not going to say, don't tell me. I already know. He's not, he's gonna carry on a conversation with you. That's who Jesus is. That's who he was. And you might tell him a funny story and he'll go, no way. And you'll go, way. And you'll have a conversation with him. But you see, we, we have to understand the character of Jesus. All through scripture, there's things that Questions he's asking, things he doesn't know, things he's not able to do, things he is able to do, but it's understanding the true nature of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to wrap this up. There are several misconceptions like that Jesus set aside his deity. He did not set aside his deity. He was fully God. Some people say, well, he set aside some of his divine attributes. He did not set aside any of his divine attributes some people will say is it's a misconception that jesus acted as though he did not possess divine attributes no he didn't when he did it at the will of the father he let everybody know i am god they understood that he was claiming to be god that's why they wanted to stone him another misconception that jesus set aside the use of his divine attributes no he didn't he demonstrated them at the will of the father by the holy spirit and then some people say well jesus emptied himself what did he empty himself of his wealth like scripture says second corinthians chapter eight verse nine for you know the grace of our lord jesus christ that though he was rich yet for your sakes he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich did he get rid of his wealth the answer is no He added to himself poverty. That's what he did. But we we tend to look at it in the opposite direction, like he gave up something. No, he didn't. Did Jesus give up something to become man? No, he added humanity to himself, is what he did. Now, did Jesus empty himself of his glory? Uh, it says in john chapter 17 verse 5 and now father glorify me in the presence with the glory i had with you before the world began it's like he doesn't have it now and he will have it in the future I would submit to you that this verse is saying he is requesting destination and not demonstration. He is requesting fellowship and not fireworks and fanfare. He is requesting presence and not pomp and circumstance. He wanted to be in the presence of the father with his physical body being there. That's what he's asking for there. He did not divest himself of his glory. It's kind of like on the Mount of Transfiguration in the Gospel of Matthew. He shows up there. What happens to him? Do you guys remember the movie Cocoon? Where, where the aliens, they pulled down their little eyelid like that and light came out of the eyelid. If you never saw it, you know, it was one of those Ron Howard movies that was way back. But they had this glory that was on the inside. Now, Jesus' glory wasn't like that. He didn't have a false skin on him and he pulled down his eyelid like this and it wasn't like that, but his glory was shown to the three. Peter, James, and John that was up there. He always had his glory. It was just veiled to them. It was veiled to the world. And that glory, like in the Old Testament, Moses got some of that glory. Remember, they he had some on his face after he had been in the presence of God. They covered him with a the sheet. They didn't want him to have his glory spreading over over everyone else, God's glory that was in him. God has always had his glory. He's always had his omniscience. He's always had his omnipotence. He's always had all of those attributes, which are God. Jesus never divested himself of anything. He is always God in human form. He never gave up anything. And I actually saw this. Somebody wrote, first, he voluntarily accepted the limitations of being a human being. Second, his glory was hidden from the people. Third, he gave up the independent use of his relative attributes, all-knowing, all-powerful, everywhere present. I disagree with all three of those. I do not believe that those are correct. Jesus added to himself humanity. He wasn't limiting himself at all by becoming a human. Jesus did not empty himself of his glory. His glory was only veiled at the transfiguration, Matthew chapter 17, and Jesus never had independent use of his relative attributes because some people say he gave up the independent use of his attributes no he didn't he always operated at the will of the father he was never independent in the use of his miraculous gifts is all-knowing is all-powerful none of that is true and you'll you'll find some of this on the best websites scripture is clear we are to get to know jesus who he is that he is God in human form. Our understanding of him is a little skewed. We need to bring it back in line. He is human being. He is God. And the reason I tell you all of this is we are supposed to know Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who he is. If I told you that Jesus was not a man, I'd be lying. If I told you that Jesus wasn't God, I'd be lying. We need to get to know Jesus just like the person we know the most here on earth that is the reason i give you this message jesus was astonished and in the future he'll probably be astonished too and he may ask us questions and he doesn't know it if it's not the will of the father if it is the will of the father he will have that answer may you grow in the grace and knowledge of jesus christ and know him and him crucified so that you might be successful in this life walking the christian walk and know his mercy and grace is always yours it's available all you have to do is ask let's pray father we we thank you for your word we thank you that you have told us from scripture who your son is you have told us that you are one with him you have told us that you live in us and jesus lives in us the holy spirit lives in us we thank you for this knowledge of the divine We ask that you would help us to retain this information, that we could explain it clearly to those who are around us, those who are seeking. And Father, we'll do this only with your help. In Jesus' name, amen.